Welcome to the Out of Pocket Podcast. I'm your host, JP Nida. Thank you so much for listening. Let's dive right into the episode. What is up, guys, and welcome into another episode of the Out of Pocket Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Nida. Today, we're going to be talking about Dak Prescott's contract, reactions to the first half of the NBA season, first half award winners, and expectations for the second half. Let's dive right in. Starting things off with the elephant in the room in the NFL is how much money Dak Prescott got paid. He got $160 million for four years, which I think is absolutely ludicrous. How does a mediocre to average starting quarterback get $40 million a year? The answer is, A, Jerry Jones is willing to pay any price for stability, and B, which I hinted at in that first answer, is stability. The Cowboys were an absolute shit show without Dak Prescott. They went 8-8 eight and eight and missed the playoffs in the most godforsakenly awful division in the whole NFL without Dak Prescott. How much better does Dak Prescott make them is my question. With Dak Prescott at quarterback this year, are they 13 and 3? Are they like are they I know they're probably in the playoffs cuz he's he would have been the best quarterback in that division. But are they making it out of the first round? I mean, Washington got bounced by Tampa. Are they going to beat Tampa? Like is that the question? No. So why on earth would you pay Dak Prescott forty million dollars? I it is beyond me, but good for Dak. I'm glad he got his money, and I don't know if he deserved it, but he definitely uh, he definitely secured the bag. What does this contract mean for Lamar Jackson and the rest of the 2017 draft class? Personally, I think this puts teams like the Ravens and the Bills in really awkward situations because I don't think the Ravens were planning on paying, or I think the Ravens were paying, planning on paying Lamar Jackson in the realm of $40 million. But if Dak's worth 40 you can't tell me that Lamar isn't worth at least 45 And if Lamar's worth 45 you can't tell me that Josh Allen isn't somewhere close to 50 which is Patrick Mahomes' money, but he's not on Patrick Mahomes' level. So, Dak Prescott just raised the floor of the quarterback market, and I know a lot. I know that happens really often with quarterbacks, but this is different. This is similar to the Kirk Cousins deal. This is a mediocre game manager, high-level game manager quarterback, getting paid a lot of money. The Browns aren't in as much of trouble because they know what Baker is. I think Baker is in Dak's tier. That tier includes Baker, Dak, Goff, jo- uh, Stafford, Cousins. I mean, those are just some some of them. But they're not Derek Carr. Those are just some... And those are obviously, there's some better and, and worse level quarterbacks in that tier. But 
none of those quarterbacks are going to carry your team to a Super Bowl without a significant amount of help. And when you pay them a ton of money, you can't bring in the help that they need. I mean, look at what's happened to the Vikings since they paid Kirk Cousins, right? The first year was all right, but this year was a disaster because they couldn't afford to bring back any of the secondary. And the pass rush is getting older and they haven't drafted as well. Paying your quarterback, who is a game manager, this much money will not result in winning. Let's dive right into some NBA stuff. Let's do a quick recap of the first half of the NBA season. Rapid fire. The Jazz are the best team in the NBA at 27-9. and The Lakers are doing incredibly well despite not having Anthony Davis. And LeBron's playing way more minutes than anyone thinks he should. The Sixers are rolling and leading the East with Brooklyn and their big three of Harden, KD, and Kyrie not far behind. What am I forgetting? Oh, the Celtics, Mavericks, and Nuggets are underperforming compared to what we had expected. As well as the Thunder and the Spurs exceeding everyone's expectations and are still, for in the Thunder's case, within striking distance of the play-in game, and in the Spurs' case, in the thick of a playoff race, which I had them pegged as one of the worst teams in the conference, and they just win games. I don't know how. They have a negative four-point differential, but a winning record. So make of that what you will but I call that playing above your head, and I am predicting a Spurs regression in the second half of the season, which leads right into my next segment of the first half of the NBA season award winners. For MVP, I have Joel Embiid. He has been the best and most important player on this Sixers team that is leading the East. Now, everyone is going to come at me for this, but LeBron is not the MVP. This is not a career achievement award. I understand that this is year 18, and what he's doing is absolutely phenomenal. But this award isn't the best player in basketball. This award is for who is having the best regular season, and Joel Embiid is having a better regular season than LeBron James. My only other argument for MVP is Nikola Jokic, and their record is not good enough to warrant an MVP for Jokic. So that leaves Joel Embiid and Giannis. But knowing how the media votes, the voter fatigue with Giannis will play a huge factor. And his votes will be pretty limited. For Coach of the Year, I have the Utah Jazz head coach and Coach K disciple, Quinn Snyder. His team is leading the West, and they play an absolutely phenomenal style of offense that is not only appealing to watch, but it is a great regular season winning form of basketball. The Jazz, however, are... Many people compare them to the 2015 Hawks, and I think they're somewhere in between the 2015 Hawks and the 2014 Spurs. The 2014 Spurs were the team that beat the Heat, and they forced the super team of LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh to play and work really hard on defense. All those games were low scoring, and they forced... I they, they got LeBron exceedingly tired on defense, and they just 
straight up outscored them. Is this year's Jazz team capable of doing that? That's the question we're all waiting to answer because if they fall closer to the 2015 Hawks who got demolished by LeBron in the first round, then is that an indictment of Quinn Snyder or is that just because this team doesn't have any star players that are on the level of LeBron and Anthony Davis or the Nets or really anyone in the West, in, in a contenders group at least. I think if they're the one seed, which is exceedingly possible, I think they are capable of making it to the Western Conference Finals. But I'm not sure if they can beat the LA teams. And if they do, I know there's no way that they can beat the Nets. Because the Nets can do what... The 2014 Spurs, if you, the Nets don't care about defense already. And the 14 Spurs relied on teams caring about defense. So if you already don't care about defense and you just hit, let's say, let's spot you 120 points a game in the finals, which is absurd. That's never happened. Teams have scored 120, but consistently 120 points a game. I'm willing to bet that the Brooklyn Nets will score more. That's all they do is score the ball. And with the addition of Blake Griffin, they just add more scoring. I don't see they they do need some rim protection and they need some more wing defenders. But I mean, at, at where do you draw the line? So Jazz Nets finals, Nets crush them. I think the only teams that are capable of beating the Nets are the Sixers and the Lakers. So the toughest matchup for the Nets will come out of the East. Getting back on track, my defensive player of the year is Ben Simmons. Over the stretch of a week, I saw him shut down Damian Lillard and then proceed to guard Anthony Davis and LeBron on many, many possessions. And he switched all our pick and rolls and he had no issue guarding either player. So tell me what other player in the league can guard LeBron and Damian Lillard. It's absurd. Yes, Rudy Gobert is a great rim protector. And yes, the Jazz defense is based entirely around having this monstrosity shot blocker behind the front line. But the the Sixers have Embiid behind them, but they don't need to use him as much because they have Ben Simmons who locks down the best player on the opposing team every single night. So he's the defensive player of the year, in my opinion. My most improved player is Julius Randle of the New York Knicks. Everyone gave up on Julius Randle, including me. I didn't see this coming. I still, I, I find it amazing. I think this team is... It's really one of the better stories of this season because Tom Thibodeau gets them to play hard. They play really good defense. And Julius Randle, it goes just full bowling ball into opposing defenses and is efficient with it now. So I think that's pretty nice to see. Other candidates at this position include Jeremy Grant, 
Jalen Brown, and Zach Levine. And I think the only other realistic candidate is Zach Levine because his numbers are absurd and he was a very deserving all-star this year, but his team isn't doing as well as the Knicks. Granted that 12 through 4 are very, very close in the East, but I, I'd, get, I'd still give it to Julius Randle as of right now. I will update everyone later in the season, obviously. And my rookie of the year is LaMelo Ball. He impacts games the most, and I may not like the way that ESPN covers him all the time, and it's just, it's a constant, how do I put this in a PC way? It's a constant just love fest of LaMelo Ball. Everything he does, every time he breathes, every time he makes a pass, it can be a an okay pass or a good pass that Ricky Rubio or, or Rondo had made before but when Lamelo does it it's one of a kind and it's absurd and yes his vision is crazy and he, and he is a he but he as a rookie he impacts winning the most plain and simple and I think that is the most important measure you can have on as a rookie if you impact winning and you change the outcome of games you are a step ahead of rookies period And my finals prediction after halfway through the season, I'm going to have to go with Lakers-Sixers in the finals. My first, at the beginning of the year, it was Blazers-Celtics, and now it's Lakers-Sixers. So maybe I'm a curse and none of these teams are going to make it, but now we're updated. Now let's discuss some of my expectations for the second half of the season. Jumping right into who... I think will make the biggest jump out of the break in the second half. There's always a team and a player, not always on the same team, that jump out and make significant improvements and either push for the playoffs or make the playoffs. Last year it was Bradley Beal and I believe it was the Jazz who were the sixth seed. Yes. So this year... I'm going to have to go with Boston because they are they need to make a move at the trade deadline. They have this trade exception. And depending on what they use it on, they could be really dangerous in the second half of the year. My other team that I think will make a significant improvement is the Warriors. I think they're going to make a big splash. I think they're going to make a trade. Well, not a big splash, but I think they're going to make a splash. They're going to make a trade, and they're going to improve this roster, and they're going to lock themselves into the five the five through seven spot. Which player do I think will improve the most after the All-Star break? I think Tatum is a candidate for that. I think Jamal Murray is a great candidate for that. Steph Curry could continue this run and magnify his case in the MVP discussion. I also think Luka Doncic is a terrific and my pick because the Mavericks are struggling and they were starting to pick it up right before the break. I don't know if this team is a championship contender as is, but I know Luka is a star and he's going to pick it up and he's going to go on an absolute tear after this break. Which team do I think will regress after the All-Star break, 
There are a couple teams that come to mind right off the bat, but I think the Spurs are a really good candidate for that. And the Hawks suck a lot, but I think there's even more room for them to regress. Nate McMillan is a... I don't want to say inadequate coach, but he's definitely not the right fit for this Hawks roster. I don't know who is. I'm not a big fan of Trey Young's game and his impact on winning basketball. However, I do think that you can't give up a piece like Trey when you when you have a roster that's built entirely around him. So, But he's really young, and we'll have to wait on that. I digress. Which team will regress? The Atlanta Hawks, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Thunder, who aren't great, but I definitely think they're playing a little above their head, being 15 and 21. So I think that they're a candidate to regress further into below 500. Um, I think that another candidate for a team that will improve is the Portland Trailblazers. Their first half of the season was incredibly rocky, and they haven't had CJ McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic, or uh, Zach Collins for the first half of the season. I think those three players will make a huge impact on winning. Out East, one more team that I have improving is the Indiana Pacers. They've been starting TJ McConnell and Dougie McBuckets, Doug McDermott. And I think getting TJ Warren and Karis LeVert on the team and healthy for the first time will be quite the improvement in the starting lineup. And then those guys will be on their bench and their depth will be back to what it was. And I think they'll push for probably a top five spot in the East. That about does it for episode 16 of the Out of Pocket Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you all have a great day. Peace.